Welcome back to Ballet Class Revolution, the go-to place for all things ballet from poise to performance. I'm Heather, and today we're diving deep into something that's absolutely crucial in the ballet studio, but ironically often overlooked. This is the power of effective communication in teaching ballet. So lace up your point shoes and let's talk about speaking the language of dance. Ballet, like any other art form, is a means of expression. It's a language without words. But as teachers, how do we convey the intricate vocabulary of ballet to our students? It's not just about showing them the steps, it's about explaining, correcting, and encouraging the students in a way that will help to elevate their understanding and therefore their performance. So let's start with verbal communication. A good teacher knows that it's not just what you say, but it's how you say it. Your voice can be a tool for motivation or demotivation. It can inspire the students or it can dishearten them. Think about the last time you corrected a student's posture. Did you simply point out what was wrong or did you guide them on how to correct it? Were your words constructive, leading to a better pirouette? Or did they perhaps just lead to more confusion? Without clarity, you will not get the results that you're wanting. Clear instructions are so important and sometimes it can feel like it's impossible to convey. And if I'm being totally honest, sometimes you could say the correct thing and you could say it, you know, in several forms and students still just might not get it until they hear it from another teacher. So I think that's important to understand and to kind of give yourself some grace. For me personally, I have pretty deep-seated beliefs that it's important that students don't have a singular teacher, but that they get varied experiences because of this reason. Sometimes they'll hear something from one teacher that they just really never seem to get, but then suddenly when they're with another teacher, they completely understand it and it clicks right away. I think it's also important that you're prepared to repeat yourself. Do not set yourself up for the expectation that it will always click right away and that the students will remember it the next day. I know a lot of my ballet teachers don't teach the same kids every day. Ballet studios have very strict schedules. They'll run five, six, sometimes even seven days a week of classes and rehearsals, these students obviously are going to get the information a lot quicker and they're going to remember it because they have more opportunity to practice. If you're teaching in a studio that is primarily jazz-based or competition-focused, chances are you're only teaching your students one, maybe two days a week in a ballet class. It can be really frustrating because it feels like you have to reteach everything over and over and over again. So the more effective you can be in your communication, the more tools that you can use to try and help students to retain the information that you're giving them, the better off you'll be. One way that you can do this is by really seriously considering thinking <laughs> before you speak. You want to provide constructive feedback. 
there are things that you can say that students will remember. And it's not necessarily going to re be remembered the way that you are intending. Just for instance, I have had in the past students who told me that a teacher would tell them to keep their lunch in, basically saying, use your abdominals, keep your core engaged, squeeze everything in so you can lengthen through your spine. But instead of saying all that, the teacher said, keep your lunch in. And the students took this as meaning they were fat, which obviously was not what the teacher was trying to say. The student just was very sensitive in that way and therefore took that information to be pointing at their size, not the way that they're using their muscles. This, therefore, I would argue, is possibly just a form of discouragement instead of constructive feedback. What's interesting about it is the students remembered it, they became hyper aware of it, but it was more discouraging for them and led to them enjoying ballet less as a result of hearing it. So the trick is finding that balance between offering something that's constructive for the students that they can remember, something that's memorable, but something that is, again, going to be encouraging and providing some positive feedback. I genuinely struggled with this, especially my first few years of teaching. And this was largely because I taught students the way that I was taught. I did not receive any kind of training in how to teach dance. So I spent, you know, the entire 11 years of my teaching dance just trying to learn how to teach dance, <laughs> specifically ballet. So again, really focusing on trying to provide constructive feedback versus discouragement. A lot of that is going to be centered around you thinking before you speak and considering different viewpoints, what the students may be perceiving that information as meaning. Another example of this, when I think of men in dance, especially in ballet, I think of hyper-masculinity. I feel like when I look at ballet pieces and I see men dancing, they're exhibiting qualities that are supposed to be incredibly manly. And the purpose of this is because you're on stage, there's an audience that's very far away, so everything is gonna be exaggerated. Every kind of movement will be exaggerated. Costumes will be exaggerated. Makeup will be exaggerated. This is because of the distance and it's because we need to transmit information over that long distance. So again, when I think of men in dance and ballet, working with ballet pieces, I see hyper-masculinity. There was one time I was teaching a student, a male student, and I would do this thing where I would bang on my chest and I would say, be a man. And I would pump up my chest really high. I did not mean anything offensive by that. I just meant to exhibit and to show what in my brain meant hyper-masculinity and to feature the whole pumping up the chest, the feature of being very manly. It's not very sunken in, you know, there's a lot of confidence. So instead of saying something like, you know, giving that description about hyper-masculinity in ballet and the reasons why and how lifting the chest is a sign of confidence, instead of saying that, I gave a quick comment that ended up being very discouraging for that particular student. He was struggling with his sexuality. And so he perceived my statement as meaning 
he wasn't man enough. And that's not at all what I intended, obviously. But it again goes back to this idea of communication, thinking before we speak, and just trying to be careful that we're considering what our students are experiencing. Effective communication in ballet teaching, it's not one size fits all. It's about adapting your language to suit the needs of your students. Therefore, some may respond well to direct, concise instructions, while others might need more detailed explanations. This is a big part of education, something that I've experienced from teaching dance, but even more so, I've become much more educated on this while working through the teaching programs that I've been going to to teach high school. So going back to this idea that you're going to have to adapt, it's understanding that different students have different ways of learning, they have different ways of receiving information, different strengths, different weaknesses, right? So we call this in education differentiation. You're going to have to differentiate between the different students that you're going to come in contact with. You're going to have to look at what is the way that they learn? Do they learn better through you know, visual training? Is it easier for them if they see it? Is it easier for them if they hear it? Is that how they learn? Is it auditory? Do they learn through um, kinesthetic means? Do they need to actually feel it to understand it? And the reality is most students are going to be best suited to learn with a varied form of output. So with several methods being used to apply their learning. But even though that's the case, they're still going to have a strength, right? So for me, when I was trying to really improve and dance, what I did was I spent a lot more time outside of the classroom focusing on dance, right? So I just made sure it was constantly running through my mind that ballet specifically was running through my mind. And I did this in various ways. You know, I read books, I watched movies, we didn't have YouTube back then. So I, um, would show up to class early. I would take extra classes. I'd go to summer intensives. But one of the ways that I made sure that I was improving was by applying corrections outside the classroom. So I would practice what the teacher had said to me during class at home. And I would also make sure to show up to classes early. So luckily my studio would let me in like two hours before class. So I would in those two hours, spend that time, you know, stretching, uh, and then perfecting things. Like if I knew that there was a step I wanted to improve, I'd spend a little bit of that time doing that. But the way that I remembered all of this was by writing down my corrections. So I actually took a journal with me to class, a composition book, and I would write down the corrections that I would be given. Even if I didn't know how to spell it, you know, I would just put it out phonetically and then I would try to figure it out when I went home, how you spell it, and I would practice it. So I definitely recommend if you have students that acknowledge the fact that they're going to forget things, maybe allow them or encourage them to have a little composition book to make notes in and to practice, especially again, if they only have like one to two classes a week. It makes it so hard to get anywhere with so little time to practice. 
let's also not forget about nonverbal cues. As a dancer, you know the power of body language. It's literally our entire job is to speak through our body. A nod, a smile, or a demonstration can communicate volumes to students. And you know, they're not uh, clueless. They know what's going on. They know your intention. They know whether or not you care about them. They can read into all that. It does not take long for them to figure you out. Just be very aware of that when it comes to your body language and trying to be as supportive and honest and genuine and caring as you can. Your body language must be just as deliberate as your words. It's a lot to think about. And believe me, I know it can be overwhelming sometimes not wanting to have some kind of damaging impact on your students, making sure that you're supporting and encouraging them while still pushing them, challenging them, getting them to that next level. But remember, your students are often mirrors and they'll refl reflect not only your movements, but also your attitude and energy. So if you walk into the classroom and you're kind of in the dumps, your students are, they're going to sense that. And they're also just going to want to be done with class and not be there and not participate and not engage and not challenge themselves to get to that next level. So when you come in, be very aware that you're coming in with a certain kind of energy and make sure you're transmitting the right kind. So I'm sure you've experienced moments where no matter how you phrase something, it just doesn't click. Like I already discussed, there are times that you could say something in a way that you're certain must be clear. Like there's no way someone could confuse it and it still just does not click. That is totally normal. And the beauty of teaching lies in finding new ways to break through those barriers. Sometimes if you just continue to try to rephrase and again, make note, like for you, maybe you could keep a composition book for yourself and just make a note after every class. Or I do have a ballet class planner with a notes section. It's totally free that you could just make a note of this was my class. This was the correction that I gave that it actually seemed to click today. That might be a great way to keep something in your toolbox for the next time you have a similar student that would receive that information in the same way. You could use metaphors, draw comparisons that will actually resonate with the students. I really struggle with this. And I think part of that is just because, you know, I was raised in the 90s. So sometimes I'll reference things that are for the kids considered ancient or they're completely oblivious to it because they were not alive at the time that I was. Other uh, times it could be just knowing when to step back and let the student discover that answer through exploration. This is such a um, careful thing to balance because I do know from experience, sometimes when you do step back, students see that as you not being interested in them or their success or their growth, or you not seeing potential in them. So it is very important to really rack your brain, develop that relationship so you know what the student needs, communicate with them. Don't be afraid to ask them questions. Ask them what they need. Ask them what they're feeling and think critically about it. You know, what are they really saying? If they're saying they just want some space, is that just for today? Is it because they actually do need more support? Because with the teenage brain, especially, you find they'll be asking for help without asking for help. <laughs> so the more experience you get, the better this will be. Um, but definitely thinking about all the varied possibilities will be your best case scenario. Another thing that would benefit you as a teacher in these studio situations is to help students by discussing with them their progress in the class. I really struggled with this. I actually had students 
when I tried to start giving them more positive feedback, they were genuinely shocked. <laughs> because my first two years of teaching, it was all critique, 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 critique. I was like, my job here is to help you get better. <laughs> that was all I saw. So when they needed positive feedback or when they did something right, I was just like in my brain, like, oh, that's great. Let's move on. Um, but when I realized how important it was that I start not just for their sake, but for my sake, pointing out what they were growing in, it's amazing the difference in everyone's attitudes. But the students, it really was funny because um, they were just genuinely shocked when I started giving positive feedback. And um, they almost didn't know to believe it. <laughs> it's a little bit sad, but um, those ended up being some of my strongest students. However, I definitely would question um, the methods that I use to get them to be such strong dancers because I don't want to do anything to my students that will ever, you know, be too much or damaging in any kind of way. And I know with ballet, it's very easy. Sometimes the way that we communicate in our teaching, it can be very easy to create complexes. Like I'm still dealing with so many from the way that my teachers taught me. So definitely helping students by understanding what they've done well, what they're growing in, communicating with them, asking them what are their goals? What do they want from the ballet class? A lot of them are gonna say they don't have goals, that they just have to take this class because it's required by the studio. Encourage them to come up with a goal and find some kind of an incentive, some kind of a reason why they should. You could explain to them that even though ballet may, may not be something that they particularly like or care about or want to do, instead explain to them, well, what is it that you want to do in your other forms of dance? Because if you can come up with a goal in that form of dance, I can help you apply ballet to that. You can help to kind of construct a situation where the student will see the connection between ballet and what they want their ultimate goals. Also discuss with them their challenges outside of class. This is gonna help foster that relationship, build the student's confidence and develop more trust in us. If you know that they come from a situation where maybe they can't practice ballet or um, maybe they're not in like a secure environment at home or maybe they have to work late because maybe they have to pay for their dance education. I mean, all of this happens and it's not unheard of. So if you can develop more of an understanding for where the student is coming from, that can help to build some compassion in you towards what you're seeing in class, make you a little bit more patient and make it easier for you to understand how best to communicate with that student. You really want to help develop this growth mindset and this quality of perseverance in your dancers, because this is going to transmit beyond the ballet class. So, that's ultimately, it, it's what should be your goal, I believe. It should be every ballet teacher's goal to help develop growth mindset and perseverance in their dancers. Because if you develop that, all of the other pieces will fall into place. I do also think that for teachers, it's important that we have that growth mindset as well, that we develop this idea of continuous learning through workshops, courses, reading up, 
on ways that we can communicate best. You know, different dance magazines are going to talk specifically about this. Uh, maybe applying some reflection to our own teaching. I mentioned before the planner that I will put in my show notes, but this planner is going to have a little note section. So you can put, this is how my class went today. You can just take five minutes to do this. These are the strong points where I felt like I really was clicking with the kids. This area was maybe a little bit weak for me. And then you can, after that, at a future date, think of how can you fix that and resolve it for your next class. Um, also getting some feedback on your communication effectiveness. So ask your kids, don't be afraid to be like, how did you feel about class today? What were the moments that you thought we were clicking? And what moments were you just completely lost and you feel like there's no hope for you? <laughs> because a lot of the time they feel that way. With my students, it was every single time we did brises, just so you know. <laughs> also embracing technology. So we live in a day and age where you can pull up classical ballet from the top performers from every generation that's existed since video. And you can show the kids, you can show them what you're expecting, what you're looking for. I mean, it still blows my mind. And I think people still underestimate how important it is, this change in technology and how much more access we have to so many amazing things through it. So don't be afraid to pull in your computer, show students kind of what it is that you're looking for or what real ballet is. Because I have to tell you, when I was a young student, I did not know what real ballet was, what a real ballerina should look like. Um, I had no real example for that. And it wasn't until I was a teenager at a summer intensive dancing alongside professionals that I did actually understand that. So don't assume your students will know what classical ballet should look like. Also, you could do video feedback. You know, if you have, and I've done this before, where I had a student who was doing like, let's say, foyte turns, and I was giving corrections on what they should be doing differently. And every single time they'd practice it and try it right in that moment, they would continue to do the exact thing I said not to do. And they just couldn't understand it. They couldn't it couldn't click. And this has happened to me as a dancer as well. I think it was with um, maybe a switch leap or a soda shaw that I was doing once that people were telling me a correction on my back leg, how it was turning in as I came down before I came back up. And I would keep doing it and just be like, they don't know what they're talking about. Like I'm thinking about it, I'm fixing it. But it wasn't until I saw it on video and same with my Foyte student, uh, they just didn't realize it until they could actually physically see it and then be like, oh, it is happening. So sometimes, even though, again, we feel like we're communicating well enough, the students, it's just not clicking. It's just they don't really understand because they're in the moment doing it. Um, next, having maybe some kind of an app for communication, which this could be something that you could possibly pull into your studio. It might depend on the studio that you're at, what they'd allow. But you could do like a remind app where you could message the students and just be like, hey, just wanted to let you guys know we had a great class. A couple things to remember would be this, this, and this. You know, we went through these corrections. Maybe you could use these exercises to work on it and improve it before we come back to class next time. So just as we wrap up, I want you to remember that as ballet teachers, we're not just imparting skills. We're shaping how our students will hear us 
interpret the information we're giving them, and speak themselves the language of dance. Your voice, your words, and your body language are powerful tools. Use them with intention, and you will see your students' abilities and love for ballet soar. Ballet Class Revolution, if you found today's topic insightful, please share this episode with a fellow dance enthusiast or teacher that it might benefit. And don't forget to subscribe for more conversations on the art and soul of ballet teaching. Until next time, keep communicating with clarity and passion.